Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. New series called We Are the Church. We are the church. The church has really taken some hits over the last couple of years. Um, my wife laughs because we were trying to plant a church in the middle of all that through the pandemic, through um, political unrest, through racial tension, through sometimes pastors couldn't say enough. And then on the other side of the fence, pastors were saying too much. Churches weren't doing enough. Churches were doing too much. You had masks, no masks, vax, no vax. And so there's just been all this tension. And I want to bring us back to what is the church? What is like, how do you church? Like there's, there's some times where like church has been awesome and we make the statement like we have in church now, right? Um, or we talk about the church that we go to. How do we be the church? And so we're gonna look at the very first mention of the word church by what we have with the Greek translation translated into English in Matthew chapter 16. Um, we're gonna start in verses 13, read through verses 19. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And so he's with his disciples and he's asking, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them this the same question, but with a different twist. But who do you say that I am? You've told me who everybody else thinks that I am, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter is the guy that's always going first. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, you were blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. He said, you didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. So Jesus is changing you know, Peter's name from Simon to Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Whose church? His church, right? And all the powers, and some translations say gates, all the gates of hell cannot conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid, some translations say bind, whatever you bind on earth will be bound or forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And so this is the first time we see Jesus using the term church. This is the first time we see it show up in the New Testament. And then in the book of Acts, we see um, the beginning of the church. But when, when we're reading this um, and we see this interaction between Jesus and Peter, for so long I thought, and maybe some of you thought, when, when Jesus says, Peter, 
I call you Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Sometimes we think that it's meaning that Jesus is going to use Peter to build his church, and Peter is going to be the rock on which the church is built. I thought that for several years, like, okay, Peter's the one, and when you look at Acts, Peter is the one who preaches the first sermon on the day of Pentecost when it says that 3,000 people are added to the church on the first day. Not a bad launch day for a church service, right? It's like, come on, we had 167. I was celebrating that. I don't know that I would be celebrating 3,000 people in the Walnut House. I wouldn't want that. But that's a great launch day. And so we think, okay, this is the rock that Jesus is building his church on. But that's not the rock. Actually, the revelation is the rock. The revelation of who Jesus is, that is the rock. That is the foundation, not Peter, but Jesus. Yes, Peter means rock, but it means tiny rock. <laughs> it means like little rock, like pebble. But what Jesus is saying is upon the rock of the revelation that you have just shared with me, that is what I am going to build my church on. Does that make sense? And so when, when we're building Avenue Church, planting Avenue Church, our very first value, which values direct all your decisions, they should, they should direct your decisions, your relationships, our very first value at Avenue Church is I will put my hope in Jesus. We will put our hope in Jesus. I don't want you. Look, I'm a great guy. I love God, love you, and love my family, but I'm also human. I do not want you putting your hope in me. I want you putting your hope in Jesus. And we will follow him. And it is, it's very easy in this American culture to build a church on a celebrity personality. And I'm not knocking it but that's just the way Americans are right now. We're looking for celebrities to lead us. And by default sometimes, and by accident, we have churches that are built on the personality of a pastor. I don't want to build this church on my personality. I want to build this church on the foundation and the revelation of who Christ is as the son of man. And so we have to understand that. That's what the church is built on. We're saying it, you know, nothing less than who Christ is, right? And so it's, it's the revelation is the rock. Now, when we look at this word church, okay, and it actually comes from the Greek word ekklesia. Look at your neighbor and say ekklesia. Did you spit when you said that, <laughs> right? And no, and, and there's a couple of different say, like spellings of how, but, but really ekklesia is, when, when the New Testament was written in Greek, the word ekklesia was used, and then when it was translated from Greek to English, the word church was used. And the word ekklesia means simply called out assembly or gathering. And it's, it's, it's not a religious word. It's not a religious term. It's actually a political term. It is a, a societal term that is used for people who are privileged, that are called out, that gather together because of their privileges, because of their connection. And so when, when the disciples were writing 
the gospels in Greek, they used the word ekklesia because they realized when Paul was writing the epistles in Greek, that those of us who are believers, we are called out, we are separate and we gather together. Does that make sense? The ecclesia is the gathering of people who are called out, who are distinguished in some sense. Now, here's what I want us to remember, like from this day forward, is the church is a gathering of people, not a place for people to gather. The church is a gathering of people, not the place where the people gather. And in today's culture, and it can be really, 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 really easy to make church about the place where you gather. We've made the church at times about a building, about a location instead of the people. And it's something that we go to rather than something that we're a part of. Because if you talk about church, how do you talk about church? Like, like when you say you um, attend Avenue Church, do you say you go to Avenue Church or you're a part of Avenue Church? Go to. Like even when I was on staff at Love and Truth in Jackson, I would say at times, I go to Love and Truth. I'm on staff at Love and Truth, not I'm a part of Love and Truth. Because the church is, is, is the people who gather, not about the place where people gather. And don't get me wrong, like um, if somebody wants to buy us a permanent location right now, I'm not gonna turn it down. <laughs> we will celebrate that and we will do incredible things there, but I don't want our identity to be built on the place where we gather but I want it to be built on why we gather, on that foundation of who Christ is. And so when, when you're at church, it's not about you being at a place, but it's about you being with the people. And so just to simplify that, the church is a people, not a place. The church is a people, not a place. Look at your neighbor and say, the church is a people, not a place. That should be like super easy, simple for you to memorize. Place is nice, but the people are what it's about. Place is nice, but it's the people that we're after. And so, you know, what's happened over the last couple of years, when you look at church and just even a lot of things, like like church attendance has dropped drastically because of COVID. Obviously, we couldn't meet. We we couldn't launch for a year um, almost because we had no place. So a place is kind of important. You got to have a place to gather. But it was about bringing the people together. And what's happened is I'm thankful for technology because we were able to still do church during the pandemic. Many of us watched, you know, the church you were a part of maybe in the past, or maybe you watched, you know, World Outreach or Elevation or Life Church or Hillsong or a church that did um, online streaming very well, but it still wasn't really church. Because church is a what? Gathering. Church is a gathering. And so really what was taking place is personal discipleship. And I know like, like some of these guys that, that I follow and they'd be like, type in the chat. You guys watch that? Have you ever typed in the chat? No, because that's weird, right? Type in the chat, amen. Type in the chat, give me a thumbs up, like emoji symbols. Like that's all great. And we were doing our best to interact with you at home, but that's still not church. 
because we're not gathered. We're connected, but we're not gathered. There's a difference. When we're in the room together, there's a difference than being connected across the line. And so many people ask us, like, like, why aren't you guys streaming yet? Well, one, it costs like twenty to thirty or forty thousand dollars to do that. Two, I really want to focus on our gathering because it takes so much more energy and resources and funds to be able to stream. I would rather put that in the gathering us together. And so, you know, about 60 to 75%, attendance is about 60 to 75% what it was pre-COVID. 60 to 75%. Now, when you take those numbers, of those numbers, about 40 to 60% are people who have returned to church. So there's 40 to 50% of people who were attending church prior to COVID-19 that are not back in church now. And it's not you guys because you're here. High five your neighbor. Say, I'm here, I'm here, right? (laughs) All right, you guys are here, but there are people that are not here or in other churches because we've gotten comfortable with not gathering. And maybe there's some fear involved, but most of it is because it's out of habit and we have not prioritized gathering because we see it as a place that we go to, not something that we're a part of. But we still go to the gym, we still go out to eat, we still go shopping, we still hang out with our friends, but we can't gather together. And I'm not saying it just for you guys. Those of you who are listening on the podcast, this is for you. Get your butt in church, right? Get your butt in church somewhere. If it's not Avenue, somewhere. But Paul, like, I want us to understand, like, this is a gathering. We're not doing this just so we can count attendance. We're doing this so we can gather the called out ones, the connected ones to worship the God that saved us, that created us, that loves us. That's why. And so when we look here in the New Testament, we, we, we read Paul giving us some different descriptions of what the church is. And get this, like we read the Bible alone, but when Paul wrote these letters, guess who he wrote them to? The church. And so get, think about this. They weren't read individually. They were read corporately to those that were gathered And so as you're reading like the New Testament and you're reading Philippians and Galatians and Colossians and all of these, these aren't written to individual people. These are written to churches who who heard them read aloud in a gathering. And so, but Paul gives us some descriptions of of, of what the church is. And so we're going to look in 1 Corinthians to start. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, and then I'll tell you what he's saying here. He says, you are God's building." wait a minute, I thought you said it's not about a building. It's not. Guess who God, who, who Paul is saying is the building? We are the building. It's that you are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. Whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful for no one can lay a foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. So again, Paul's echoing what Jesus has said in the gospels is that Jesus is the foundation and anything that gets built on top of that foundation is is not as important as the foundation. And anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw, doesn't matter as long as Jesus is the foundation, but on judgment day, fire will, will reveal what kind of work each builder has done 
The fire will show a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive an award. But if the worker is burned up, the builder will suffer a great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. Verse 16, and this is where we'll land. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you. And so, yes, Paul is saying you are the building, you are the temple. So regardless of where we meet, what is our our building, we are the temple. The church is the temple. The people are the temple, not the building. So when you look in the Old Testament, um, the children of Israel, they were led by God at night by a pillar of fire and in the daytime by a cloud of smoke. That was God's spirit, God's presence leading them. And, and one of my favorite verses in Ecclesiastes, not Ecclesiastes, Exodus, the last chapter of Exodus, when Moses has got the people of Israel building the temple for the very first time. And it says that, that they hung up the last curtain in the tabernacle and it says the work was completed and it says the presence of God filled the tabernacle the presence of God. We are now the tabernacle. We are now the temple. God's spirit resides in us. And so when we come together, guys, we are the temple and God's spirit dwells in us. Paul also says that we are the bride. He says we are the temple, but then he also says we are the bride of Christ. We also see this in Jesus' teaching sometimes talking about the bridegroom and the bride. But Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2, and he's talking to the church here, and he's discussing some false teachings and false gospels that are, that are being started by other teachers and, and, and other apostles, and he's trying to work to prevent that. And he makes this statement. He says, for I am jealous for you. He's talking to the church at Corinth. I am jealous for you um, with the jealousy of God himself. He says, I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, to Christ. And we see this painted time and time again throughout Paul's writings, comparing the church as the bride and Christ as the groom. And we even see it in Ephesians chapter five, verses 21 through 30. And it's not gonna be on the screen, but just make a note of it. Paul uses the illustration of the relationship between Christ and the church as the model for the relationship between the husband and the wife. And he says that, that Christ loves the church unconditionally, that he gave his life for her, and that everything he says and does brings out the best in her. It says, likewise, the church trusts, supports, and follows the husband being Christ. And that's how wives are to live. And so we see this model, this illustration of, of a marital relationship between a husband and a wife, that the church is the wife, the bride of Christ, and we are to lovingly support and follow his leading, that together we are that. And then lastly, what we see is, is the Christ is, that the church is the body. The ch- and, and I love this illustration. The church is the body. First Corinthians chapter 12 it says the human body has many parts. 
the church is the body. The human body has many parts. But many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. So Paul is, is comparing the human body with, with all of our, um, I think of, you know, uh, Phoebe on Friends says the word phalanges a lot, right? <laughs> and so that's the one that just came, you know, word that came to mind. It's like, like our body has these, all these limbs and all these organs and all these phalanges, right? And together they make up the body. And it's the same with the church. We all together come together and we make up the body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, some of us are free. In another passage of scripture, Paul says, some of us are barbaric, some of us are civilized, uncivilized, some of us are circumcised, uncircumcised, some of us are rich or poor. None of that matters. And when you look at today's church, there is a wealth of diversity between race and education and demographics and even church background. None of that matters. And this is why Paul says, but we have all been baptized into what? one body by one spirit, and we all share that same spirit. See, the church is meant to be diverse, but united. Like the church is meant to, like we're not all supposed to look the same. We're not all supposed to act the same. We're not all, well, within reason, right? We should always be walking in the fruits of the spirit and following his commands, but we're all gonna have quirks. We're all gonna have things that annoy each other. But it's our diversity in unity that makes the whole body of Christ, right? And, and, and what happens is we start looking around and we see people that are, that are different than us. And we think, well, I can't be a part because I'm not like them. But that's the complete opposite. I want Avenue Church to be extremely diverse, racially um, age-wise, you know, I joke with some people, my wife and I, like we were, we were the oldest ones on the launch team until another couple joined. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you. I wasn't going to call you out, Scottina, but I was like, it's finally somebody else can help us. But, but I don't want us, you know, we talk about, you know, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's great to be a church of a lot of like Jacob's and Isaac's, but we need some Abraham's with some wisdom yeah. and some experience. And then we need the Isaac's with, you know, and Jacob's with the energy. Well, I don't know, because you guys in that generation, you have kids, right? I'm there, just tired all the time, right? But I want to be a diverse church. I want people to walk in and it's almost, you know, my pastor would always say, I want my church to look like Walmart. I'm like, can you clarify that? <laughs> right? Can you? But, but he, says, <laughs> he says, when you walk in, you see anybody and everybody at Walmart, right? We see all demographics. We see all classes represented at Walmart. We all go even when we don't want to. I don't want Avenue Church to be that way. I want you to come to Avenue Church, <laughs> right? But I want us to be a diverse body, recognizing that we all are connected to each other because of Christ. That that's where our unity lies, amen? Come on, and then Paul goes on to see, he says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not the hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. Like, like what if the, my foot was like, look, I can't hold on to things, so I can't be a part of the body. No, I need my foot to stand, right? 
Or if my hand was like, you know, I can't smell anything. Like imagine if you smelt people with your hands. <laughs> like how weird would that be? Thank goodness we don't do that. God knew exactly what he was doing when he put our olfactory nerves in our nose instead of our hands, right? And so what if our bodies did that? It would be crazy. We laugh, but, and if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, what makes it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would it hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would it smell anything? And so each one of you here in this seat, each one of you here at this church, you're here on purpose for a reason. And we're assembled together for a, something greater. And I remember teaching this in a middle school, uh, like junior high boys Sunday school class. And it's the greatest. And so one of the, one of the kids was like, he was like, so, so it's kind of like Power Rangers? And I was like, what? He's like, they all come together and they make Megatron or Megalord, whatever he was. But like, if one part was missing, then you couldn't make, does anybody know what Power Rangers? Like a few millennials maybe, right? But I was like, that makes complete perfect sense. You're exact. And so anytime I think about the church as a body and we're all needed, I think about Power Rangers, <laughs> right? But Paul says this in verse 18, he says, but our bodies have many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. Man, think about, think about the intentionally, like the intentionality in our physical body. And if we can trust God enough to put our physical body parts where they're supposed to be, we have to trust him enough that he's going to put the body of Christ parts where they're supposed to be. That's for you being in this church. I don't believe you're here by accident. Even if you're just here for a season and God moves you somewhere else, you were here for a season and you had a purpose for a season, but let that season be as long as it can be, amen, <laughs> right? God has a purpose for that. God has a purpose. And, and even think, think bigger, not just like, like local church. Think global church. Think big C. Think Murfreesboro. When I moved to Murfreesboro, like we had done all this like research on the different churches in Murfreesboro. But then I come here and I'm like, there's way more churches than what I thought. God, is there room for another church? Guess what the answer is? Oh yeah, I like this guy. Oh yeah. So we're like, I don't know. Is there? Oh yeah. And so even thinking about God, like thinking world outreach, experience, First Baptist, Lighthouse Baptist, you know, Centerpoint, Pentecostal, you know, all these churches, we are a part of the body. Think about that. That not only are you as an individual a part of the body, and you have a purpose, but all the different, like there's a church right down the road at Brasshorn, good friend of mine. And he was like, I don't, I kind of want to start at Brasshorn, but if, if, if that's too close to your church, I'll understand and I won't start there. I was like, why in the world would you not? Because we're all a part of the same body. So I want you to recognize that. This, like the Walden House is great, but this isn't, this isn't church. The person you're sitting next to is the church. The person on, behind you is the church. The person in front of you, together, we are the gathering of those that have been called out by Christ to gather together and lift up his name. So, so what does all this mean? Like, like a lot of times when I'm writing messages, I will, I will ask myself these questions. So what, now what? I've given you this information, so, so what does it mean? Now what do I want you to do? Like those are things I try to, so, so what does this mean for us? As the temple of God, we carry God's spirit with us. 
As the temple of God, we carry his spirit with us. So, so when you go into work, you're not going alone. You're going with the spirit of God. When you go into school, you're not going alone. You're going with the spirit of God. And guess what? If there are other believers that are there, they just don't come to this church, guess what? You're the church in that office building, in that factory, in that classroom. And something changes if we allow ourselves to operate as the church, not just think about some, that is something that we just do on Sundays. When we go to school, we carry his spirit. His spirit is in our marriages, it's in our relationships, it's in our struggles, because the spirit of God is no longer confined to a building or a tent, but we walk with it in our bodies. And we come together he is in our midst. And so when we look at all right, it's the church as the bride of Christ, here's what happens. is we illustrate his love and commitment. When we live out that, that, that bride, bridegroom relationship, we illustrate his, um, his love and his commitment. And guys, that's something that, that our community just needs. Our world just needs. Commitment is lacking. And the church should be the one that is always committed. Our trust that is enduring models faithfulness. Our love is unconditional. Um, our world is desperately in need of a model of stability. And this picture of an ever-loving Savior as the most perfect husband and a church who's who can trust him because of who he is, is a perfect image of stability. And when it comes to the body, so what, what does this mean? Is, is as the body of Christ, we get to continue his mission. We get to continue his mission. It's not just about coming and singing and listening to a sermon and going away changed. I want that to happen, but as the church globally, as the church locally, as the church in this community, we have a responsibility to continue his mission. And we'll talk about that next week. Like, what does the church on mission look like? And there's all these things that, that we build as ministries that are important, that are necessary. But the foundation of our mission is who Christ is, the gospel the good news. Um, just like Peter said, that you are the son of God. And so we come together, yeah, we celebrate, we sing, we operate in our giftings and we meet needs and we fellowship and all those things are important. But I want you to understand and remember that it's not about where we're at. It's about who we're with and it's about why we are with them. And so maybe you're, you're here today and you don't have that why. Maybe you've heard all of this and, and it's, it's a new concept to you or maybe you've heard all of this and you're just like, Stephen, I went to church. I went to church for years because you know, I was drugged to church. I was made to go. And then the moment you had your opportunity, you cut tithes. Um, you stopped going. But it's my heart and my hope that in those years that you were going, there were seeds that were planted and those seeds are beginning to grow and take root and that's why you're back here today. And that what you maybe started as attendance 
just attending, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to be a part of. So that it's not just about coming to church, but it's about joining the community. It's about joining the body. It's about entering into relationship, not just with the groom, Christ, but entering into relationship with his bride, his church, his people. And maybe you felt like you couldn't be a part of that because you didn't meet standards. And as people often do, we set expectations and we set standards for you to meet in order for you to be a part. But there's only one standard to be a part of the family of God. There's only one expectation and that's accepting that you are flawed, that your sin separates you from God, and that the only thing that can bring you back into relationship with him is turning all of that over to him, surrendering that. And sometimes guilt and shame brings us to to that point. And I'm in a place now where I've like, you know, guilt and shame is not always a bad thing if it leads you in the right direction. But so many times we allow guilt and shame to move us in the wrong direction. But if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with the groom of the church, with the head of the church, which is Christ, I wanna invite you just to simply say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry for what I've done. It's not gonna make everything perfect, but it's gonna make it way better. Can we pray together with every head bowed and every eye closed? If you want us to pray with you and you want me to pray with you, to say yes to Jesus, to turn, scripture calls to repent, to turn directions. Um, If you say, look, Stephen, I want to be a part of the body, but I need a relationship with Christ. How I'm living is not working. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, just to simply lift your hand so that I know who I'm praying with, who I'm praying for. Doesn't doesn't save you. It just acknowledges, just like when you fall down as a kid, you lift up for lift your hand for your dad to to pick you up or your mom to pick you up. It's just saying, I need I need help. And if that's you, I want to pray for you. And for the rest of us, here's what I'm gonna pray for. I'm gonna pray that that Avenue Church would never be about a building, that it would never be about a place that it would be about the people that are in this room and the people that are yet to come. That when we would come together, we would know that we are called out for a purpose. So Father, I just come to you this morning. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for your presence. First and foremost, God, I thank you that you're moving and working in our lives, not just on Sunday mornings, but God, Monday through Saturday. God, that when we come together on Sundays, I pray that it would not be just to check something off a to-do list, but God, that we would look forward with expectation to be with the community that you gave your life for, standing on the foundation of who you are. God, putting aside all of our weaknesses, all of our insecurities, and knowing that we find strength in you and God, we believe here that we grow stronger in community, not apart from it. That we can't grow as a believer, as a Christian, without being a part of your body, without being a a part of your family. 
So God, help us to keep that in mind. And God, for those that, that raised their hands, God, or maybe even lifted their heart and saying, God, I need you in my life. I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you gave your life for me. I believe that you were buried and rose again for me that I can stand without blemish, without fault, without guilt, without shame. God, I thank you that right now the salvation is taking place. Transformation is taking place. That, that sin is being removed and grace is being imparted. So Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your love and for your presence. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen, 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 amen. Awesome. Church, I love you. Thank you.